All right, open with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at chapter 23, Matthew 23. This morning, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 12. Um, Let me say, as you're getting to that page in your Bible, that the first 12 verses, Jesus is addressing the crowds and his disciples in particular. He shifts in verse 13 to address the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law directly. But this first section is especially appropriate for us um, as he tells us how to deal with um, hypocritical leaders in the church, what our response should be um, as the people of God. So that's Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of God to you. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives today. My brothers and sisters in Christ, This is such an incredible portion of Scripture because it has so much to teach God's people on a variety of levels. In it, Jesus teaches both spiritual leaders in the church as well as lay people not only how to respond when we find out our leaders have been guilty of blatant hypocrisy, but also specifically what we are to avoid if we want to ensure that we don't meet their grim fate as well. Well, what was especially interesting to me as I studied this text this past week was how he addresses first his disciples and the rest of the crowd before very strongly rebuking the religious leaders directly. And I believe he does this for a reason. He wants to make sure that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. That in rejecting their hypocrisy and lack of spiritual integrity, we don't reject the word that they were called to expound. And on the other hand, he also wants to make sure that we don't use their failure to practice what they're preaching as an excuse for us to not follow it as well, to follow their bad example, rather, and to do the awful things that they were guilty of doing. And one other quick note before we jump right into our text today, and that's this. Now, of course, it was a very specific context in which we find these words of Jesus. The context was where the old system 
um, the system of the religious leaders and the synagogue and of, of the leaders of the Jewish folk in those days, it was about to be judged severely. After many, many years of apostasy, um, Jesus was going to uh, pronounce judgment upon them. That's what this, these uh, following verses are all about. And in particular, of course, he was paving the way for the new covenant people of God, the church uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So it was a transitional period. So in this transitional period, before Jesus was going to establish his church, uh, very soon at this point, the people of God in the interim still uh, found themselves in a situation where they needed to still listen to those who spoke the word of God to them from uh, the Pharisee, Pharisee party and the teachers of the law. But I still believe, as we're going to see in a few moments, it's very, very applicable to us today in different contexts. Once we understand it in its context, then we can go ahead and see how it applies to us in our context. So, for instance, when we have hypocritical leaders that unfortunately find out we're leading a double life, we could see what our response uh, might be to them, not only in the sense of at the moment, but as we look back and think of all of their investment in our lives, many of us um, find ourselves uh, very sad and we find ourselves mourning the, the situation of those who taught us the word of God. We may have found out that they were um, imposters because their lifestyle wasn't in keeping with what they taught. And yet, what we're going to see in these, these beautiful verses uh, is that all that we've learned from them is still true if it was in keeping with God's word and God still used it in our lives and we can still be blessed and others can be blessed by following the teaching um, and by not following, um, in many cases, their bad example. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. So what we're going to see in this text is simply this. According to Jesus, when we are under hypocritical teachers of the word, we are to do what they say, not what they do. It's a basic thing. Jesus says when we're under hypocritical teachers of the word, we're to do what they say, not what they do. And what we're going to see is three particular things I want to point out for time's sake. The first thing we're going to see that Jesus points out is why we should do what they say. Second thing we're going to see is why we shouldn't do what they do. Last of all, just so you know where we're heading, we're going to see Jesus gives us some examples of what it is that they were doing that we shouldn't do. So let's take a look at this first thing. Why we should do what they say. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Now, given the fact that Jesus doesn't seem to have a lot of good things to say about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thus far in the book of Matthew, why in the world would he tell the crowd and his disciples that they must obey them and do everything they say? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, isn't this the biggest complaint with the obligation to obey any authority that doesn't live the life that they're telling us to live? Think about it. Think of parents who smoke but preach to their kids not to smoke because it's bad for them. Or take the traffic cop who warns us not to drink and drive only to get caught drinking and driving while he's off duty. Why should we do what they say? 
And undoubtedly, there were people who were very happy that Jesus was reading the riot act to the hypocritical religious leaders. And they were ready to throw out God's obligation to God's truth out the window with the hypocritical leaders. But as John Calvin rightly puts it, his first lesson is that whatever the life of the masters, there is no justification for any of their filthy behavior to rub off on the word of God, nor for anyone to snatch license to sin from their behavior. In other words, to put it in modern English, no matter what kind of life they led, there was no justification. We didn't have the right to blame the word of God, um, which they were expounding, nor um, use their behavior as an excuse for us, a license for us to sin as well. See, what Jesus says here, it's very very important to see this. They sat in Moses' seat. In other words, they had the position of teaching and expounding the law and giving its application to the people's lives. And as far as their teaching did just that, expounded the law, they were to be obeyed. Because the law was given for our good and for God's glory. We're not spiting them when we flout the word, but we're spiting our own selves. In other words, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. How many people today throw out the baby with the bathwater when it becomes apparent that some religious leader has been found to be leading a double life? They say something like, that's why I don't go to church anymore, filled with hypocrites. Listen, best illustration I can come up with is this. Just imagine that you go to the doctor and you're in the waiting waiting room and when the doctor comes in he smells he reeks of smoke i mean he is so huge so overweight that he can't bend over to pick up the pencil that he dropped and then he proceeds to go on his soapbox and preach to you all the evils of smoking and why you need to avoid it because you could get heart disease lung disease um, cancer and the many many things that you can get from uh, smoking cigarettes and then not only that, to add insult to injury, as it were, he goes on to tell you how you need to get up off the couch because you're not exercising regularly and you need to do more exercise, you need to eat better. Now, of course, our gut reaction could be, who does this guy think he is telling me to do this stuff when look at him, he is a hot mess. But listen, here's the issue. If we go home and we ignore his advice, Who do we hurt? Do we hurt the hypocritical doctor? Do we hurt the establishment of the medical establishment? No, who we end up hurting is ourselves because by not taking his advice, which is good advice, we end up hurting ourselves. We end up living an unhealthy lifestyle that could put ourselves at risk. That's exactly why Jesus is telling us to listen to those who expound the word even when they fail to do what they're telling us to do. Because failing to do so hurts us spiritually and it dishonors the God who gave us his commands for his own glory and for our good. This principle is just as true today. When someone instructs us in the word, we must learn to feed upon the word and heed their words as long as they are simply true expositions of scripture. We have to be careful not to follow their example 
if they're not put into practice the truth that they are sharing with us. And that's the second and next thing we see in this passage. And it's a very uh, brief point, but we see it very clearly. Here Jesus tells us why we shouldn't do what they do. He just told us why we should do what they tell us to do. Now he tells us why we shouldn't do what they actually do. He says, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. You see, what they say is okay, but what they do ain't the way. (laughs) What Jesus is saying is, you need to do what they say, but don't follow their example because their teaching and lifestyle are worlds apart. Jesus couldn't have spoken any clearer. He says, don't emulate them. Don't copy their actions. It'll lead you down the same path of destruction that they're headed down if they don't repent of their wicked ways. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 99, he speaks of it from the positive angle. He puts it this way. He says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Now look, according to the psalmist, why does he have more understanding than his elders here? Because he doesn't merely talk the talk, but by the grace of God, he walks the walk. In other words, he doesn't just talk about it. He is about it. Sound familiar? Sounds real, sounds real Jamesy, doesn't it? Like from the book of James, where James says, don't merely hear the word and so deceive yourself, but put it into practice. And here Jesus is saying, don't do what they do, these religious leaders, because they weren't putting the word into practice. They are examples of the opposite of what we just read in Psalm 119. And we're going to move right on to the third thing we see in this text, the last thing I want to point out, because Jesus is going to give us some specifics. He doesn't just tell us not to do what they do, but here we have a good, a good um, window into what they were doing that Jesus tells us we need to avoid. And that's the last thing we're going to see here. Jesus teaches by way of contrast. Don't do this. And that's the last thing we see here. What is it, what it is that we shouldn't do? What should be avoided as followers of Jesus? First thing we see is they weigh you down without helping you move around. That was the problem with the Pharisees. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy loads, put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You see, they were supposed to teach the people the word of God, with compassion, patience, with love. They were supposed to come alongside of them, pray for them, help them walk in the truth of God, show them the blessings and the benefits of listening to God. Because when we don't listen to God, people, that's when we hurt ourselves and others. That's when we dishonor God. It's very clear. But as Calvin puts it, It was common use with these proud hypocrites to demand God's due in a lordly manner from others, to be unyielding in pressing obligations, at the same time blindly letting themselves off the injunctions they laid on others. 
and pleasing themselves without a care. No one will show moderation in teaching another unless he has first taught himself the lesson. See, in other words, what was the problem with these religious leaders? They were real lax and easy on themselves, but they were severe on the people they were called to shepherd and teach and love in God's name. And of course, it's not until you attempt by the grace of God to begin to put God's word into practice in your life. It's not until then that you're humbled and you recognize how difficult and impossible without God's help it is to do. And so you, you will approach other folks a lot more humbly when you've applied it to your own life and a lot more mercifully. See, this stands in great contrast to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Whereas in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30 in Matthew's gospel, if you remember, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Jesus also called God's people to walk in God's ways. But he was willing to have them take his yoke upon them. In other words, if you, some of you may remember when we looked at that text earlier, when we went through it as we're preaching through Matthew's gospel, that a yoke is this wooden thing that connects two oxen, for instance, so that they will be yoked together and they'll move in the same direction and they'll be able to plow uh, together straight with in one force with one force and what jesus is saying here i remember when i expounded on this how powerful it was that when i saw it for the first time jesus is saying in other words if you take his yoke upon you what does that mean that means you and jesus are yoked together so in other words whatever jesus is calling you to do he's saying i'm here with you we are lifting the load together and my yoke is easy my burden is light because i will be with you Helping you. Very different than the Pharisees where Jesus and the teachers of the law, where Jesus says they would not even lift a finger to help alleviate the load, remove the burden. So they would weigh you down without helping you move around. The second thing we see they did and we are to avoid. They're all about looking good, but they're not about being good. Look at verse 5. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. See, they cared more about what men saw than what God saw. They lived their lives for themselves, for their own glory, for their own reputation, for their own popularity. It was all about them. Now, the word I'm having a hard time pronouncing, phylacteries, phylacteries, were little boxes, little like leather tubes that they would put on their left wrist and also on their foreheads that would have scripture passages in them, like the one from last week's passage from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And they had these um, things 
these scripture verses in there to remind them to walk in God's ways, to remind them of the law of God and, and um, how they should be living to glorify him. And these tassels were also to be on the corners of the robe to remind them of the law of God and they're, that they're holy unto the Lord and they are to keep them as God's people. But what the Pharisees did is they made these boxes larger and they made the tassels longer and more um, elaborate and ornate in order to draw attention to themselves. So people would view them, oh, look how holy they are. Look how righteous. Look how good. And as one commentator, J.C. McCauley, points out, the religion that ought to have humbled them before God became the means of exalting them before men. That's powerful. They use the very thing that God uh, prescribed for them to humble them, show them their need for him, and to show them um, how much they needed his grace in order to, to live in his ways. They use that very thing to, instead of humble themselves, exalt themselves before their fellow men. Everything they do, says Jesus in this text, is done for men to see. Now, where's God in all this? Who are they trying to please? Who are they living for? As Jesus will call them later on in Matthew 23, we'll see, start looking at that next time. They were play actors. Doing things simply for earthly reward and exaltation. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who acts like he is one thing when he is very much something completely different. Now, I love the illustration I heard Eric Alexander, that great Scottish Scottish preacher, give for this. Um, he gives the illustration of someone, a woman who is doing a commercial for Nescafe and, and how she's bragging on how great this, this coffee is and how delicious it is. She drinks it every day and, and while she's in front of the camera. And then, of course, the camera stops filming and she <laughs> spits it out. I hate this stuff. It's disgusting. And what Eric Alexander points out is this. I don't care what she says in front of the camera. I want to know, does she drink it at home? And that's what Jesus is saying here about the religious leaders. The real question is, who are they when nobody's looking? Do they have the reality of religion that they claim? Do they have a relationship with God? When no one's looking, are they serving him? Are they loving him? Are they worshiping him? Are they fighting sin? Living under righteousness. Meditating on the word and asking God's help. Or is it all about the show? Jesus said this earlier on in Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. You know, this we pick a lot on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We look at them, uh, we demonize them as almost inhuman, evil beings. 
And yet Jesus is warning us about them and telling us not to do what they do because we are sinful as well. And we have the very same temptations that they do and the same sinful heart. And so especially a congregation like ours, a church plant where we do strive, we strive to serve the poor um, in our area, particularly in Atlantic City. And it can be so easy um, to not realize that we are doing things for others to see or to forget what this is one of the hardest things to do where Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so often we're flagging it and we're tagging it for all to see. Like, so we make a, a video. I know we have to raise support. I, I have to do that myself, and it can be a very difficult thing. But what we do is we're tempted to make a video where we have the poor orphan, please, sir, can I have some more? And then we say, look at how we helped him. Aren't we great people? And then at that moment we realize we've fallen into this. They're all about looking good, but they're not about being good. So Jesus says, don't be like that. Then he says, then we see here, they lift themselves up instead of helping those who are down. We need to be careful of that as well. And we look at, we see this in verses 6 to 10. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called a rabbi. For you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. Now notice here there's a common theme. They love, they love. But what is it that Jesus says they love? Notice they love to be the center of attention. They love to be served. They love to be honored in public. The job of the spiritual leader in the church, whether it's a minister, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, the calling of especially of the teacher and preacher of God's word is to magnify the Lord, to bring him glory, to make much of Jesus, to make little of ourselves, to serve others by making much of the Lord and of his, and of his work in their lives, not to draw attention to ourselves or to be humble servants and instruments this is a warning for all of jesus's followers followers leaders and lady who we live in our lives for for ourselves do we live our lives before the audience of men flagging and pointing out any good thing that we do so they'll think much of us honor us view us as, us as special do we do it for their approval for their praise This is what Jesus means when he says, you're not to be called rabbi or father or teacher. His point is not that those titles don't have a place in some situations. So, for instance, you could call your earthly dad father. Jesus isn't saying that. His point is don't crave such titles in the church of honor. And certainly don't insist on them like you're greater than your brother's. Yes, when we go and we study, we do a certain course, we can get a doctorate in this or a doctorate in that. 
and when we um, finish a different um, course of studies, we may be called reverend, but I personally don't like that name. I think that's pretty much what Jesus is saying here. We're brothers. We're servants of the word. Minister just means servant. Or pastor means shepherd. It's a very lowly title. That's why when people say, what do you want us to call you? Doctor? Reverend? Reverend doctor? I said, pastor's fine. If you're not comfortable just saying my first name or if you're trying to teach a young person respect, pastor is fine. We're to have the attitude of John the baptizer who said he must increase, that's Jesus, but I must decrease. Grant Osborne puts it this way. It is not the privilege of others to listen to us. It's our privilege to share with them in some small way what we have been given by Christ, our one teacher. Our goal is not to create sacred listeners or readers who cannot wait to hear what we have to say but rather to create lovers of Jesus and the Word. Ain't that the truth? Our whole goal is, by the grace of God, to have people bow down before Jesus, worship Him, serve Him, love them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Follow Him by faith. Trust in His finished work and then show it by a life of good deeds and love. Jesus gives the big punchline before he turns and addresses the Pharisees. We'll deal with that next week. The punchline is found in verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I love this illustration. I've told it many times in the past, so please bear with me if you've listened to a number of my sermons. Uh, Forgive me for repeating it, but it just makes the point so well. When little Wilhelmina was crowned Queen of Holland, a happy little girl too young to realize the gravity of the occasion, with thousands of people cheering for her, was unable to take it all in. And she said, Mama, do all these people belong to me? And her mother smiled and said, No, my dear child, you belong to these people. That's what Jesus is saying here. All of us, whether we're a lay person or whether we're a leader, especially if we're a leader, God has saved us and he has called us to serve others in his name, to be a blessing to put him first and others second, like we just heard in the passage before. Two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two greatest commandments. On these two, all the law and the prophets hang. And as we've seen throughout this gospel, it's so clear the way up in the kingdom is down. In other words, the way to advance spiritually is to become less, to be humble, to serve, to bend down and wash feet for Jesus and see others blessed. That's true 
of service in the kingdom of God. Jesus said it's to be true of his people and of his disciples. And I want to close with this. It was supremely true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who said the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we claim his name, Jesus says, Jesus says, yes, certainly we can't give our lives to redeem people. Only Jesus can do that. But we are to follow his example and be servants and give our lives so that others might come to know him, might come to walk in his ways, and might come to bear great fruit for his name. That Jesus might be glorified and worshipped and magnified and that it would hasten the day of his return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We know uh, in many ways it's difficult, and it's going to get more difficult as we read on for next week. But at the same time, it's such a blessing to hear your voice, to, to have your clear instruction so that we don't have to listen to mere men and their opinions, but we have your perfect, authoritative, inspired, and errant word on the matter. So, Lord, we do pray for your church here on earth, particularly the Bible-believing churches here in our region and in our denomination. And, Father, for our little church plant, that in your mercy and by your grace, we would not be those who hear and teach the word but don't practice it, but we would be found among those who trust you, who truly have a true faith in, in Jesus, and who show it by lives of mercy and good works and practicing the things we preach from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake and glory. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Sandra Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.